Welcome to the HBG Bible Talks podcast, where we do simple, focused reading and discussion from God's Word, the Bible. I'm Stephen. And I'm Chase. We are Bible teachers in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and we're excited to get into the Word and to share it with others. So uh, we're here, episode 16. Uh, we're getting right to the very end. Um, we have Jesus uh, coming to the final day of his life, uh, the final night. And he has had the, the last supper with his disciples. He has gone to Gethsemane and has poured his heart out to the father in prayer. Uh, and already we see the weakness of his disciples uh, falling asleep um, when he's really needing them to pray for him. And so we come here to the, the last hours uh, of Jesus life. Really, this is going to be the, the, the final trial. Jesus has prepared for the trial. He's prayed. And now um, we face, he faces the, the end. Yes. Today's episode, we'll, we'll read some really sad things. Jesus, he's not going to get a fair shake when it comes to the trials we'll read. And um, just at every turn, it looks like everyone is betraying him and leaving him. And something that's just noteworthy about this part of the gospels is the gospels have been a very selective choice. Uh, they, they just have a few stories really from the three years of Jesus life. But when we get to the last week and then especially the last day, it's like they just go into slow motion. Like we yeah. are just given a play by play of these last hours of Jesus life. The gospels focus heavily on the trial, the mocking, the suffering, the death, and then the resurrection of Jesus. And that's just notable. You know, if this was a regular biography, we'd be really surprised by how lopsided it is. We know like almost nothing about the childhood of Jesus. And then most of what we know is three years of his life. And most of that is the last week of his life. Uh, right. So it's, it's really, we're really slowing down here and getting all the detail out of these last few hours. Yes, certainly. So let's, uh, let's go ahead and dig in. I'm going to read Mark 14, verses 43 through 52. And I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. Mark 14, starting in verse 43. Immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, came up accompanied by a crowd with swords and clubs, who were from the chief priests and scribes and the elders. Now he who was betraying him had given them a signal, saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one. Seize him and lead him away under guard. After coming, Judas immediately went to him, saying, Rabbi, and kissed him. They laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me as you would against a robber? Every day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me, but this is taken place to fulfill the scriptures. And they all left him and fled. A young man was following him, wearing nothing but a linen sheet over his naked body. And they seized him, but he pulled free of the linen sheet and escaped naked. So this is um, the moment of betrayal. Uh, he's been praying with his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives, just outside Jerusalem. And we know from different accounts that this is a place they regularly came to pray and for Jesus to be with his disciples kind of away from the city. And so Judas knew where to find him. 
this is how the chief priests and the uh, scribes know where to get a hold of Jesus. And so Judas comes with a whole mini army with him, swords and clubs. Uh, they, he had gotten this group from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. So they come uh, ready for a fight. Uh, they come expecting perhaps Jesus's followers are going to rise up and defend him. I mean, but that's not we, what goes down. We already know from earlier, there were, Jesus had a lot of followers. I mean, he came into Jerusalem on the back of a colt. And of course, all of these people are laying down leaf branches. And so he certainly got quite the following. Um, also, just a ch- few chapters before, we saw Jesus go in and cleanse the temple in a very aggressive way. So they're, they're expecting like this physical fight. But that is so against what Jesus was about, as he's made it clear to Peter in this section. Yeah. And again, the betrayal, the levels of betrayal here from Judas is just heartbreaking to read. Um, the sign that he chooses, and again, this was Judas's choice, the one that I kiss, this sign of affection, this sign of solidarity and companionship, that's the one. He betrays Jesus with a kiss yeah. and calls him rabbi, you know, teacher, and he kisses him. And immediately they take hold of Jesus. And then uh, we know from other accounts, this is Peter. Peter, man, he's ready to go. I mean, this is typical Peter. At this point, we know Peter and his personality. And he pulls out his sword. And I suspect he was not aiming for the guy's ear. Yeah, um, I, I think Peter wasn't a trained swordsman. And he, he missed and, uh, and got the guy's ear rather than his whole head. Right, but, he wanted, he wanted him dead. Uh, Peter was ready for an all-out fight. And Jesus, you know, he, he rebukes those who've come and says, have you come out against me as against a robber? You know, could, who do you think that I am? Uh, how, how is it that you're coming to me in this way? You know, day after day, I was with you in the temple teaching. You didn't seize me. So he's pointing out to them that they had opportunity to do this peaceably, but it's their choice to do it like this. And he says, but let the scriptures be fulfilled. Yeah. He knows what's about to happen. Yes, that's right. The scripture spoke to Jesus being betrayed by a friend. The, speak, the scriptures speak to him going through a false trial. And so I don't think there's like a particular passage in mind in verse 49, but all of the Old Testament was, was building to this moment of Jesus being betrayed and going to the cross. And so verse 50 is very noticeable, uh, notable. Sorry, They all left him and fled. I mean, Stephen, my mind immediately goes back to verse 31 when Peter keeps insistently saying, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. But Peter, he wasn't the only one saying that. Mm-hmm. Then verse 31 says they were all saying the same thing also. You know, even if we have to die, Jesus, we'll go. But they fell short. They flee. They run away from Jesus in the moment where he likely needed them the most. For sure. And, and this is kind of, a weird verse, but it's only in Mark uh, verse 51 and 52. Tell us about another young man following them. And he's only wearing a linen sheet, which also seems pretty weird. But what happens is they're kind of try to capture him. They grab him, but he escapes without his clothes. And this is just kind of adding even more insult that this young man would rather be seen naked than seen with Jesus. Um, this is an utter betrayal of Jesus. Now there's some speculation over uh, this may be Mark himself. 
who was following with the disciples. We just don't know for sure. The text doesn't tell us who it is. The fact that it's only in Mark's gospel makes some people wonder if Mark includes himself here. But uh, regardless of who it is, it's even more a, a, a note of shame to Jesus that this man would rather flee away naked than to stand with Jesus and, uh, and to go with him. Yes, and it just kind of speaks to the chaos of the night, um, everything that's happening. Uh, Stephen, you want to take us through the next section? Yeah. So Jesus is now totally alone. He's only with his enemies. Uh, Mark 14, we're going to pick up in verse 53. And they led Jesus to the high priest. And all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about this, their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and said to, and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, Prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. So it's, uh, it's helpful to know just kind of historically where the Jews are, you know, fast forward, sorry, back up several hundreds of years when they were dwelling in their own land and they were their own rulers, had their own Kings like David and some of those others you read about, you know, according to their custom and the high priests and the councils that they had, they could really put to death anyone that they wanted to. But throughout the years, once the different nations conquer the city of Jerusalem and the Jewish people themselves, it eventually gets to the point where the Jews can't kill anybody that they want. They have to get approval from the Romans. And so that's why it used to confuse me. You see Jesus go through like a couple of different like trials. And the first one here is just with like the Jewish higher ups, the chief priests and the elders and the high priest. And so that's where Jesus is uh, in the section Stephen just read for us. Right. And these are supposed to be the most religious, the most devout, the leaders of the people. And they have before them the very Son of God, the embodiment of the law and the prophets and all that God had taught. And they condemn him to death. It's incredible. And the thing is, I mean, this is really a kangaroo court. It notes several times here in verse 55, they try to find testimony to put him to death, but they couldn't find any. They brought false witnesses, but their testimony didn't agree. And they tried to kind of, you know, twist some of the things Jesus said, I'll destroy this temple made with hands in three days. I'll build another not made with hands. Jesus does say something like that in John chapter two. It was not earlier in Mark, but 
they even about this, their testimony too. Yeah, yeah. Verse fifty nine. They they can't agree even on whatever it was that he said. <laughs> right. And so the high priest, uh, he starts questioning Jesus. You know, you're not saying anything. You don't answer. Do you not hear what these guys are, uh, you know, testifying against you? But Jesus keeps silent and doesn't yeah. answer. Which just reminds us of uh, Isaiah 53. Um, you know, as a right. lamb before it shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. Jesus doesn't defend himself, um, though he is completely innocent. And it's not until he's asked directly, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? He answers, I am. And you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. He may be making a reference here to Psalm 110, where it says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So they they recognize that Jesus was claiming to be the Messiah. And of course, from their perspective, that's all the, that's all the proof they need. Uh, He is blaspheming God and he is worthy of death. Right. And so they all, condemn him and then begins the humiliation after this mockery of a trial uh, they begin to spit on him cover his face strike him if mockingly saying prophesy and the guards receive him with blows and this is just going to be the beginning of his humiliation from the jews yeah and i mean what can you imagine what it would take to look at a man and say you and what you've done you have condemned yourself to death. You, as Mark puts it at the end of verse 64, they said they condemned him to deserving of death. You, you would have to have something really extreme for me to even think along those lines. And yet here Jesus, pure and innocent, has done nothing. And they say he deserves death. So, just so cruel. So let's get into the next section here and, and find out what's happening with Peter. Meanwhile, while Jesus is on trial, um, sure. You want to yeah, take us verses 66 through, yeah, 66 through 72. Mm-hmm. As Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with Jesus the Nazarene. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you are talking about. And he went out onto the porch. The servant girl saw him. And began once more to say to the bystanders, this is one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders were again saying to Peter, surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean too. But he began to curse and swear, I do not know this man you are talking about. Immediately, a rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had, been, had made the remark to him, Before a rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he began to weep. So again, all of the disciples fled from Jesus in the garden. Um, Even the young man uh, fled naked. And now Jesus has nobody with him. But Peter has followed at a distance, at least. So he's seeing and hearing some of what's going on. He's outside at the fire. And even though Jesus had told him earlier that night that this was going to happen before the rooster crows twice, you're going to deny me three times. He's approached by the servant girl, uh, someone who would have had no power herself, but I suppose would have had power to uh, confess or to report Peter uh, to the authorities inside where Jesus is. 
And he just denies any part of being with Jesus. You were with the Nazarene Jesus, and he denies it. I don't know what you're talking about. And then again, no, you're one of them. Again, he denies it. And then, you know, certainly, you know, you're a Galilean. I think other, uh, uh, other accounts say about, you know, your, your accent betrays you or something like that. They, they knew he was yes. from Galilee. And then he begins to curse and swear. I do not know this man of whom you speak. To, to even say, I, I don't even know who he is. I, I, what, who is Jesus? What is this? It is an, a complete and utter betrayal of everything that Jesus has invested in Peter for these last three years. And of course, immediately at that moment, the rooster crows and he remembers what Jesus said and he breaks down and just weeps. And I I can't imagine um, how Peter would have felt in that moment, how, how worthless, how utterly hopeless after denying that he even knows the man that he's dedicated the last three years of his life to. And he, 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 this is the last we see of Peter for a little while. And this could have been the end of Peter's story. Thank God it wasn't. Yeah. I mean, I definitely think that Judas and Peter are kind of, contrasted in this section you know you've got judas who's obviously betrayed jesus um he was the one that sold him out for the silver but then there's also peter who left jesus in the moment where he might have needed him the most and was so confident about it and so both of these characters are being contrasted but it's interesting to see what decisions the two of them make after they're faced with the guilt of denying and betraying jesus yeah, that's right. Because again, I mean, Peter wasn't the only one who betrayed the Lord. They sure. all said, I'll, I'll die with you. And then they all left him. Um, of course, Peter adds to that with these three denials, cursing and swearing that he never knew Jesus. Right. But I do think you're right. Uh, Mark doesn't record Judas's death for us. But in Matthew's account, those two are back to back. That it talks about Peter going out and he wept bitterly, but he didn't give up. Judas with his guilt gives up and and takes his own life. And that's never the right answer. And I think you're right that we're supposed to see two different things here, two different ways of responding to our own guilt. And Peter feels the weight of his guilt, but he's going to allow the Lord to forgive him ultimately and allow the Lord to continue to use him. And again, I think these examples are for our good. Um, I don't think many Christians have literally cursed and sworn that they never knew Jesus like Peter did. But if God can forgive and use Peter, then he can forgive and use us. Amen. We need to feel the weight of what we've done for sure. We need to not make light of our sin. But sometimes when we're feeling the despair, uh, we need to look to the example of Peter. I mean, again, he's not like one of the side characters in this story. This is, maybe the most prominent of the apostles and even Peter falls this low and is able to return to the Lord's service. And so these are all lessons recorded for our good and for our encouragement. We need to come back to these when we're feeling low. Amen. And 
you also just see Judas selling out Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. You know, Peter lying to a servant girl, not, not like anyone huge or big or prominent, but being willing just to sell, sell Jesus out to a servant girl and saying, I don't even know the man. You just show the, the obvious immaturity in both of those men. And man, we've sold Jesus out for much less than those things. But what we do after we realize that we're lost in sin, and that we've sold Jesus out is key. Are we going to be like Judas and have worldly sorrow and take our life or go to other things? Or are we going to break down and turn to Jesus and ask for his forgiveness and then grow out of that trial and do better the next time? That's the decision we have to make. Yeah. So just keep this scene in mind when we get to chapter 16, uh, where there's a cool connection back to this that we'll see in a couple of episodes, Lord willing. So let's look at this uh, last section here, continuing in chapter 15. Um, we're going to read about we've, Jesus has been tried before the Jews, but of course, like you mentioned, Chase, they didn't have authority to put him to death with capital punishment. The Romans have that authority. And so he goes to the Romans. Uh, let's pick up in Mark 15. We'll read verses 1 through 15. Mark 15, verse 1. As soon as it was morning. So again, Jesus has been at these mock trials all night long. As soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, you have said so. And the chief priest accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. Now at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison, who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them, saying, do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. All right, so Jesus is taken now between uh, or before the Roman guys, right? Um, you'll notice there at the middle of verse 1, they bind Jesus. I think that means he's handcuffed. So or I say handcuffed, but hands tied somehow. He's, he's bound up can't go anywhere and they get him before Pilate. And I just, I love to try to picture that there's Jesus, there's Pilate just looking at each other and Pilate just asks him, are you the King of the Jews? Why do you think Pilate starts there, Stephen? It's probably seeing if there's some reason to put him to death. If some of the charges against Jesus mention him being a King or making himself out to be a King, and if Pilate can affirm that, well, Jesus is claiming to be a ruler of some kind, or he's here to lead some kind of political rebellion, then he would have grounds to 
punish him. And so he starts and says, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus, in his classic way, says, you have said so, which is kind of an answer, kind of not an answer. And Pilate, there's actually a lot more dialogue that happens in the Gospel of John between Pilate and Jesus, where he asks him some more questions. And it's where Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. Otherwise, my servants would have been fighting. So Jesus is very clear before Pilate that, yes, he is a king, but no, he's not that kind of king. He is right. not leading a political rebellion. He's the one who told Peter to put his sword away in the garden. And so Pilate's going to recognize that this man is really innocent. Yeah, that's right. And so um, Pilate, he's really trying to get something on Jesus, I think, so that he can feel as if it's okay to go ahead and have him crucified. But um, as the story plays out that Stephen read for us, we learned that there was this custom where they would release one of the prisoners. And in verse seven, it says there was a name named Barabbas and he was a murderer. I mean, there, there was no getting around that. Mark states it pretty, uh, pretty clearly. Um, when the insurrection happened, um, this big riot of sorts, uh, he committed murder, but it was that guy that they asked for him to be released. Jesus, who's clearly, truly innocent, and yet they still choose to have Jesus killed. And it's in verse 10 that it makes it pretty clear, Pilate was aware that the chief priests had handed him over because of envy. I mean, you, we already referenced it once, but when you come into um, the triumphal entrance, when Jesus is, is coming into his kingdom, and you see all the attentions he's, he's getting, it, it wouldn't take a rocket scientist to think, yeah, the higher-ups of the Jews, they're going to be jealous of that. And so they've been trying to get Jesus killed ever since that and even before it. But Pilate sees right through it, but they kind of tie his hands. They say that they want him crucified. And verse 15 says they, Pilate wanted to satisfy the crowd. And so he released Barabbas and has Jesus scourged and hands him over to be crucified. Stephen, you know how much hate you would have to have for somebody to shout at that person, crucify, crucify. That is a level of hate that I don't know if I've ever experienced. And next week, Lord willing, um, we'll get to talk more about what crucifixion was and what it was like. But wow, it would take a lot of hate to want to shout that at somebody and want that for them. Yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. And something else that's interesting here is just to think about Pilate. I mean, the, the Jewish rulers have hated Jesus for a long time and are finally getting what they've been seeking since pretty early in the gospel of Mark. But Pilate, had, this has been dropped on his doorstep on this day and he's trying to sort through all of this and Pilate can see through what the Jewish leaders are doing. He, he can see this is, this is not an issue of actual guilt. This is a matter of envy and personal issues. And yet Pilate who has the authority of the Roman government behind him, will not stand up for Jesus. Pilate is a little bit more reasonable, but he's a coward. He knows the right thing to do, but he fears the people. He, he's a politician and he wants the favor of the people. And so he, even though he recognizes the innocence of Jesus, he becomes just as guilty because he is complicit. He gives his approval. And of course, in one of the gospel accounts, he washes his hands when he mm -hmm. 
gives them to the people. His blood be on you, <laughs> your heads, uh, recognizing he's not guilty for this. Of course, the, there's no amount of water that could cleanse uh, Pilate's part in this in going along with them. Right. But he's a fascinating person to think about in this situation. And again, we need to be careful not to act out of fear when it's in our power to do what is right or to defend the, the helpless. Uh, we need to not act like Pilate, um, but to do what's really uphold justice. Um, because this from beginning to end is one of the greatest miscarriages of justice in history as God yes. is on trial and they condemn him to crucifixion. Yes. You also see there in verse 15 that they have Jesus scourged. Um, you know, that, that is a, just a horrible, gruesome process. And there were actually many people who would die just in the process of scourging. What it was is you would have a, a handle made out of a piece of wood about five to six inches long. And attached to that handle would be five, six, seven, eight pieces of leather thongs that were, would be real long, you know, 12 to, to I don't know, three feet, um, or 12 inches to three feet. And on the ends of those, there'd be ripped up pieces of bone or, or metal or anything sharp. And they would take the person's bare back and they would whip that leather against that person's back. That's what scourging was. Some of your translations might say flogging. But obviously we're reminded of what it says in Isaiah 53, right? By your wounds or some translation says by your scourging, we were healed. Every strike that Jesus experienced was for our sin and for what we did. Jesus took our place throughout this whole crucifixion. It's incredible to think about. Yes, it and is. We'll and we'll talk, talk about, uh, more about that. Yeah. Yeah. Lord willing, next week, um, talk more about the, the suffering of Jesus and not just the physical suffering, but the unknown levels of spiritual suffering that he goes through yes. uh, for, for me. And for you, um, this is personal. Amen. Next week, we're going to look at the crucifixion and the death and burial of Jesus. Uh, these are emotional things to read through. Uh, we hope that you feel the weight of this as we read and, and it's moving to you as it is to us. Um, if, again, if you're enjoying what you're hearing, uh, please feel free to subscribe, rate, review the podcast. We'd love to get this message of Jesus' love out to as many people as we can. Uh, there's online Bible studies. See CapitalCityChristians.com. Or if you'd like to reach out to us personally, if you have questions about what you're hearing, or if you'd just like to study further, 717-585-0949. Text us or call us or drop us a line at CapitalCityChristians at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening today.